0: Dealers, have you been searching for a way to keep your customers' cars looking new for longer? Diamond Coat's nano-ceramic gloss and matte paint coating is the answer. No special application tools are required, and it will keep service work in your base. Plus, it's an excellent lease product to offer your customers. Give your dealership the competitive edge with Diamond Coat.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the May 5th, 2023 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Lason, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. My guest today represents new vehicle dealers in the country's most populous province. He'll talk about their needs and wants, what it's like working with the provincial government, and he'll also update us on how his members view the direct sales model and online retailing. And a hint, their opinion has changed over the last decade. All that and more when I speak with the executive director of the newly named Motor Vehicle Retailers of Ontario, formerly the Trillium Automobile Dealers Association, Todd Borgen, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Todd, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Greg, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Our pleasure as well. Let's start here. For those that don't know, explain the role of the motor vehicle retail, retailers of Ontario to uh, our audience.
2: So our role primarily is to represent the new car, Uh, dealers in the province. There's 1,100 of them in the province of Ontario. We represent them at the provincial and municipal level of governments. Uh, We lobby for things that would be uh, fair business practices for for the dealers. And also we provide a number of different ancillary products from education to uh, events. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but we are also the owners of the Canadian National Auto Show. And we proudly present that every February at the Metrotronic Convention Center.
1: We are definitely going to talk about CIAS uh, in this interview. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, you mentioned you represent more than 1,100 dealers in Ontario uh, and that you sort of uh, represent their interests. How closely do you actually work with and liaise and lobby the government on- of Ontario? And what's that relationship like right now?
2: Uh, we work extremely closely with them. Um, I won't bore your audience, but we can name a number of MPs, uh, sorry, MPPs that we are... Uh, very, very tight with in the ministries that we need to be. Uh, I think a very good example would be of how tight we are with the current government and how the current government respects their industry and will listen to what we have to say. They don't always do what we want them to do, but they certainly will listen to us, is that we were the only industry outside of healthcare that was deemed essential during the pandemic, and that's largely because of the, the relationships that we have, but also um, the positioning that we were able to uh, present to them as far as how important it is to have people you know, being able to drive your cars into other essential services like doctors and other the other things that would be very obvious. Um, so that primarily are, are, are the things that I would say to you that you know, resonate with with us and our members and the reason that uh, that they they have us as their association representatives.
1: There are automakers and auto lobbyists and consumers who would like to see an EV rebate in Ontario that is similar to the ones we see Provincially, in British Columbia and Quebec, I have to ask: You have that close relationship. Would MVRO like to see EV rebates return in Ontario? I think anyone that represents
2: our industry would like to see any rebate at any level, so that it's, um, it helps promote the industry. But the truth is, is that you know we we're, we are close to the Ford government. Uh, we met with uh, uh, the Premier directly himself at the auto show, and we've been told that uh, they're not on the table. Uh, and they won't be on the table uh, while they're governing. And so that being the case, uh, if if that's what we've been told, you move on to other things, it can help affect that. But right now, that's the message that's been delivered to us. And that was delivered to us from the day that they took office their first term. And it was re-delivered to us when they took office the second term.
1: Is there anything you'd like to see the provincial government do that it hasn't done yet that would affect auto retailing in Ontario. What's your biggest push, I guess, with them or biggest ask of the Ford government right now?
2: Well, I mean, uh, let's break that into two pieces. So the first thing I would say to you is that this government has been the most responsive government for automobile uh, since I've been in this industry um, on many different facets. I mean, they have looked at we're removing um, license plate renewals. They have put in digital um, dealer licensing in, in in actual dealerships where dealers don't have to go uh, to service Ontario lineup anymore. I mean, they really have listened to us on what some of the, the pay points are uh, in our industry because they don't want red tape. But on the flip side of all that, if you look at what they've done there, the next ask that we would have as an organization, because as you can appreciate, we always have a list. Yeah. This okay. is never done. Um, and that is, is that the, the, the MVDA, the Motor Vehicle Dealer Act in Ontario, is really outdated. And that became very, very evident during the pandemic when we were trying to shift from an in-person selling model to an online selling model. And that's just one example within the NVDA. The NVDA was written so many years ago that the technology we have in place say did exist. So that that would be our biggest lobbying effort right now. And certainly the good news is is that we're in consultation with the government. They are listening and they are open to Um, to helping uh, bring that up to the, the century that we're in today and to make it more viable for retailers to be able to conduct business in a way consumers want to conduct business with our retailers.
1: So enlighten me a bit, what in that act needs to be changed or is so outdated? And I get it. I mean, technology has changed. We can do everything just about from our desk or our phone even. What in that act needs to be updated the most, do you think?
2: Uh, the biggest one certainly is wet signatures um, and the ability for a salesperson uh, to um, not have to uh, have signatures or the actual deal take place right at the physical dealership. So if if you're delivering a car and the papers haven't been signed right now, technically they can't have those paperships signed in somebody's driveway. Um, you know, right now that would be perceived as potentially being um, you know, offside uh, for what exists. So that's just one example of what we would see. But there's multiple ones in there, Greg. This is when and you hit on it. It's all about technology. You can buy a house right now through DocuSign, sitting at your kitchen table with your lawyer signing these documents. But it's very, very challenging with the way the MVDA is written for that to happen for a car. So in, in a in a bigger nutshell, that's exactly what we are going to be making sure uh, is friendlier so that we can t- conduct business the way that people are conducting business and other large purchases, you know, like housing as an example.
1: You mentioned the um, online retailing and online selling of vehicles and and signing documents. Where or, or how do your members feel right now about online sales, um, that online sales model that we see Tesla use, for example, and Genesis started to try and use it in Canada? Is there a concern there that everything goes... Um, digital and the dealers are kind of shut out or or what is the feeling or sense you get from your members right now on that topic specifically?
2: Uh, simple answer is no. 10 years ago, I would suggest there was much more critical panic uh, within our membership uh, on that topic. But no, I think that what's been proven in the last number of years is that the Tesla model, um, it does work to a certain degree, but quite frankly, it doesn't work as they get critical mass. I mean, there's a reason why Tesla is now leasing dealerships for physical presences all around the province of Ontario. Uh, I would know the names and you know the names of a lot of these people that are renting these dealerships to them. So, you know, a lot of the kind of quote unquote worry that was in the industry that, you know, that will become the model forever. It's not feasible. Um, you can't service critical mass completely online. You can't service critical mass in people's driveways, especially as vehicles start to age. So I think that model was quote unquote cute at the very beginning. Um, But the truth is, is that it's not sustainable for long term. So I don't think you see dealers worrying as much as they once did. Plus, we're a resilient industry. I've seen a lot of dealers of dealer groups, probably like you have, where they've adjusted a portion of their business to online. The data says that not all consumers are comfortable shopping for that type of a purchase, just completely online and completing the transaction. They still want to go into a dealership. They want to touch the car. They want to feel the car. They want to see if their family fits in the car. They want to see if they fit in the car. And that's the reason why we see 350,000 people coming to the front doors of the auto show to experience just that. So I think that you've got a mix right now in the marketplace and our dealerships where they can provide both sides. They can provide a level of online, they can deliver cars to people's homes, but they can also provide the in-person shopping experience that a lot of people still want and still demand. So in my opinion, I know I'm probably um, a little bit biased, but I think that's the best of both worlds if you're all one way or all the other way, um, then again, you're only speaking to a certain percentage, but certainly online is not the same quote unquote threat or perceived threat that it once was, you know, going back, like I say, you know, 10 years ago where it was a bit of a panic.
1: I've had one automotive executive in Canada. Tell me if you're going to sell cars here in Canada, you need to be able to service cars here in Canada. Um, whether that means well, and, and whether that means you lease someone's dealership or or a mechanic down the street or whatever that case, should that be law? Is that something that should be written into either provincial or federal law that if you are going to retail something that might require a, a, sometimes a life saving recall, should you be able to have? Should you be mandated to have the facilities to fix that in a timely manner? I
2: don't know that you would be able to get that into law versus it becoming more of a best practice, but certainly I think you're on the right course, but let's use this example. And, and I, you know, by all means, I don't want to pick on the brand, but it's just reality, right? When Volkswagen went through their diesel gate and the challenges that they had, imagine if they were just an online retailer, there'd be no physical way that they could have ever managed to fix that problem and survive financially. All those cars that were brought back to dealers and repaired at dealers and had dealers renegotiate with consumers to put them in another Volkswagen product all took place because they had a dealer franchise that could handle that. If they were a Tesla or another product that you want to name that sells only direct and online, could you imagine how that would have ended? So let's, that's, I think in my opinion, although no one wanted to see that happen, certainly Volkswagen didn't want to see that happen, but that's a great example to that executive that said to you, you have to be able to service. In Canada, you have to be able to service anywhere for that exact that exact reason or that exact example that is provided
1: to you.
0: We'll be right back after this short break. Today, we're excited to share with you how you can enhance your customers' driving experience and keep their vehicle looking like new with Diamond Coat's full suite of nano ceramic gloss and matte paint protection products. Both come with a 10-year warranty guarantee. Diamond Coat's nano ceramic gloss paint protection is perfect for customers who want to maintain vibrant vehicle finish. This advanced formula uses cutting-edge nanotechnology to create a hard, durable barrier between the paint and the environment. Not only does it provide superior protection against scratches, bird droppings, and UV rays, but it also enhances the paint's shine, making it look like it just rolled off the showroom floor. For matte-finished vehicles on your lot, we have Nano Ceramic Matte, the only product in North America specifically designed to protect a vehicle's unique non-reflective look. It's engineered to preserve the light diffusing sheen matte and satin finishes are known for while still providing long lasting protection from the elements. Both of our nano ceramic products offer superior protection with a 9H hardness rating and a hydrophobic surface that repels water and contaminants. This means your customers will spend less time cleaning their vehicle and more time enjoying the ride. Not only are our products top of the line, but our team of experts is dedicated to providing exceptional service to our dealership partners. We offer comprehensive training, marketing support, and dedicated ancillary specialists to ensure that you have everything you need to successfully offer our products to your customers. So if you wanna provide your customers with the best in ceramic paint protection, look no further than Diamond Coat. Contact us today or visit www.diamondcoat.com to learn more about how we can help. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered.
1: Welcome back to the podcast, where I'm speaking with executive director of the newly named Motor Vehicle Retailers of Ontario, Todd Borgen. You mentioned a couple answers ago, the the auto show. Yes. How, let's, I want to start here. Like, were you surprised or what was your reaction to the attendance? I mean, barring that snowstorm, sleet storm that we had, that could have potentially been a record setting attendance for that show in its 50th year. How do you respond to that? What's your feeling after that show? Relief <laughs> <laughs> and excitement.
2: I mean, I think that, you know, the first thing that I'll share is that w- as owners of the show, we, as an association, we rent the space and then re-rent it back out to manufacturers and ancillary organizations that participate. So from a business model perspective, there's a lot of risk to that, right? If you, if you, if you don't rent it out, number one, or to do, people don't show up. Um, you've got an upside down financial model. So, you know, relief is one. We hadn't put a show on, as you know, in three years, um, all the data showed us that not just about automotive shows, but about all in-person events had seen huge uptakes since the pandemic of pent up demand. So we were really counting that data flowed into what we had as far as a product for people. And it did. Um, and so, you know, the work that went into that, it wasn't like, you know, it was two months. So that's like a three year work model that took place to get that back up and running and to get that to the level where consumers would come back day after day at the numbers that you saw. And you're absolutely right. If we didn't have that snowstorm that one day, we would have broke a record. And that show has been around for 50 years. So relief, excitement, um, all the things that you would think of after all that hard work that the team. At the International Auto Show put into place. And the board members from the Canadian International Auto Show are all dealers and voluntary dealers uh, from our board. So, I mean, it was just a celebration of, you know, wow, we're back and we did it. And a lot of work and effort went into that. And, you know, I can't say enough for that team and what they pulled off. But uh, to your point, you know, we almost broke a record. And uh, if it wasn't for Mother Nature, then we would have, but that's okay. It just proved that the consumers want to see
1: cars in person. This is a question that we sort of bandied about in our editorial meetings. There were fewer brands. The cost of entry was the same, but you got other things such as the EV test track. Did consumers notice or even care that there were fewer brands on the floor? And the follow-up to that is: Do you win back the brands you lost this year next year?
2: So yes, consumers notice if if they certainly if they're diehards that they go back to the show year after year. Um. But and some and we did get some feedback on that. But the truth is, is that we also saw a new audience that came to that show this year. That were excited about being able to test drive a vehicle. Uh, they were excited about being able to take a ride in the vehicle. Uh, if you remember, Jeep Mountain was uh, that 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 display was one of the most popular displays within the show, um, for all the obvious reasons, right? So I think that by having some of the manufacturers that didn't attend. It really did force us to take a look at, you know, what are we going to content in the show um, that will have people just as excited to attend? And so we had the pivot, and it forced us to relook at the word mobility, which we did. So you saw electric vehicles that could be driven on the road, but also, you know, the magnet vehicles that were there that are the future of uh, mobility. And so I think that's really, you know, moving forward the, the magic word, which is about mobility. You know, as far as the manufacturers that weren't there, um, we were already had some conversations with some of them, you know, right there at the show um, about what the future looks like. And, uh, you know, without getting into brands, because I don't think that's fair to anybody, um, there already has been some interest from some that, uh, that weren't there. And as far as, you know, participating, because I think that in some cases, um, maybe they underestimated what the show, you know, might return as. And uh, as you know, and I know, it returned extremely strong.
1: Let's end by talking about um, your organization itself. The association dates back to 1908 as the Toronto Automobile Dealers Association. It then merged with the Ontario Dealers Association to become the Trillium Automotive Dealers Association, which I kind of chuckled at. It was easy to change the T from Toronto to Trillium and represent Ontario. Um, and just this month, it became Motor Vehicle Retailers of Ontario. Why that recent change?
2: Well, when you put it the way you put it, and you it sounds like we can't make a decision.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I find it fascinating, to be honest with you, that any that it dates back that far, and that it has made you know a few changes along the way, but they were all reasonably easy to understand, including this one when you explain it. But why this change?
2: So, I mean, the change is the word "long overdue" is really not fair, but it has been overdue meeting that, um, there has been some confusion over the years when we did change to Trillium, it was very easy. As you said, it was convenient. I think is the word to change it from Toronto to Trillium. We didn't want to lose the acronym. It had uh brand recognition, you know, in the marketplace and also a government. What we did underestimate as time went on is that, especially and this really came to late during the pandemic, right? Is that we're, you know, a represent an industry that represents 85,000 employees and you know, um, $14 billion in GDP. So when you're in a pandemic mode and you're trying to keep your industry open and you're trying to have attention from various levels of government, yes, we have amazing relationships. And I probably have one of the best lobbyists in the industry, quite frankly, working for us and has been working for us for a number of years. But what happened then during the pandemic is that ministries then had other people scattered to try and deal with absolutely everything. It was accepting um, best practices for health within organizations that we actually ended up uh, ascribing and, and providing to them, but we weren't always dealing with the same staffers or the same ministry people that we were dealing with, because it was all hands on deck. If you remember, then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're typically not dealing with the health minister in our industry, but then all of a sudden you are, um, and so what's ended up happening is that we would be explaining to these newer people know why our reason to be is and they would in some cases wouldn't even bring us into the consultation because the name trillium to them meant health or health network and so we were we were kind of playing a bit of catch-up the good news is is that we had the right people that would uh, help us make sure that we were not being excluded from any of those meetings but the work that it presented to get to that and the risk that it brought to an industry that represents 14 billion dollars of gdp became heightened and that was the post conversations that we had as to hey What did we do right? What could we have done better? Um, And what things did we learn? And one of the things that we learned was that our name was problematic, and our name put us at risk in some cases at that particular time for the reasons that I just mentioned. And we can't have an industry at that particular time in the future that's excluded just because of that. If we are excluded because of other reasons, then that's a different discussion. But if we ever excluded because we had missed a consultation because someone confused us with something else, that's a problem. So this was dealt with. And then basically we come up with the name by forming a committee of some of our past presidents, some of our current executive and board members. And they came up with the name the entire to evolve it to the word retailer because that's what you're saying right now in most of the manufacturer agreements with the dealers. They're no longer calling them dealers, they're calling them retailers. The research that they have says that's a better and more accepted name from a consumer perspective uh, than the word dealer. So we just thought we're going to evolve to that. And this allows us in the future to look at broadening our spectrum of representation if we ever wanted to, because we're not tied to just the word dealership. And it wasn't a big leap, Greg, to be honest with you, in this sense, if you look at the names of every other trade association in both the United States and Canada that represent automotive, there wasn't one of them that had a name that didn't specifically identify what they did or who they are
1: by just reading it, we were the only one. So it was just time to, it was time to address that and correct it. That's it. And I'm told the. The other two words that matter in that are motor vehicle. Um, Correct. Why was that important? What does that mean or what does that represent? Uh, Anything that has a motor in it. (laughs) In
2: the future, when you think of electrification, people sometimes think, well, that electric car is just electric. No one has a motor in it, but it is electric. That's fine. The things that you saw at the auto show this year, there was a lot of unique products there that had different forms of mobility, but they all had some sort of a motor in it. Are we going to go represent, you know, bicycles that have motors in them tomorrow? Absolutely not. But again, we have to make sure that we're relevant for the next 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And this name allows us to be relevant no matter how industry evolves, because everything is going to have to have a motor to move wheels, regardless if it's electric, hydrogen powered or whatever it is, right? And so that's the way we looked at it. And that's why we chose the, uh, the name that we chose.
1: And Jim Williamson is your newest president. Tell me a bit about Jim and uh, what he brings to the table jim's a great guy he's a third generation uh car dealer uh his grandfather
2: started their business Um, then his dad took over and now jim has taken over jim has always been active in our industry since the day i met him i used to see him on airplanes going to conventions uh, where he was constantly learning wanting to learn wanting to do more wanting to give back and when the opportunity to get on our board took place uh, he jumped at it and uh now uh jim as the daunting task of being the very first president um, of the new namesake, Motor Vehicle Retailers of Ontario. Um, but Jim will do a great job because he cares and he listens. Um, he'll listen first before uh, he speaks and he will then uh, provide you know a very well-educated opinion. So I'm happy to have Jim on board. He's gonna do a great job for industry. And um, you know I think that uh, kudos to these guys that put their hands up to volunteer for these roles because I think a lot of people assume they're getting a big paycheck for putting themselves in these positions and the truth is is that we're a registered non-for-profit association which means that uh, they're volunteers so i appreciate all the guys and ladies that put their hands up uh, to help us serve and uh, jim's the latest
1: one and todd i appreciate you coming on the show this week um great conversation covered a lot of ground and look forward to speaking with you again Greg, it's my pleasure thanks very much for uh, having me absolutely I'd like to thank Todd for being my guest this week. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.